0: Morning, everyone. So we are um, in the second week of our series, Spending Advent with the Prophet Isaiah. And uh, I need to start this week with a bit of a confession um, or apology. So last week, um, I was looking at Isaiah chapter 11, and I talked about the wrong kings. Um, so I was talking about the, the promises in Isaiah chapter 11 um, and talking about King uh, Ammon who died and King Josiah, his son who became a king who um, made some reforms. And actually, Isaiah 11 is much more likely to be about King Hezekiah and Manasseh, his father. Now, the interesting thing is the story is quite similar and there's different generations in Israel where the story kind of repeats. Uh, And the whole point of Isaiah's prophecy is that they are applicable to every generation. But I really loved that Pat came up to me afterwards and she said was that the right king that you were talking about? Was that the right, and I love that because that says to me and that Pat is someone, and we know this about Pat, who has a lifetime of reading the Bible and knowing the scriptures and being able to say, hang on, that's not, I'm not sure what, what you said is what I read. And I think that's actually a good reminder for all of us. Um, I don't always get it right, just cause I'm the person standing up the front with the microphone. And we are together seeking to listen to God's word. And part of that is spending time in it ourselves and reading it and getting to know it and love it. And I love being inspired by Pat Uh, people like her and I know there are many others amongst us so I just thought that would be a good encouragement for me and for you to make sure that we are in God's Word for ourselves so that we are listening to what um, and we're you know reading it together like we just have this morning and listening to it together well and asking good questions and saying is this what God is saying Um, so don't just take my word for everything because I get things wrong all the time Um, but let's seek to listen together to what God is saying to us But Isaiah's word was given in a particular time, particular place, but it was actually meant to resound and resonate for generation after generation after generation. Isaiah lived for a long time and so there are a whole bunch of different kings and it does get quite confusing, which is why I'm giving myself a slight pass for getting confused as to which kings were in which part of the book. I should write these things down. I was like, oh, I taught Old Testament. I know this story. Yeah, wrong story. Um, But... It was written so that it could be passed down to generation after generation and hear anew in their time and place what God is saying and how it speaks to them. And so in this series, we are sitting with Isaiah's great words of promise, which were given into a time of turmoil and yet give these promises of hope and peace and love and joy that find fulfilment in God's unfolding plan throughout history, that point towards the coming Messiah who will bring them to fulfilment and that anticipate his coming once and for all to complete them. And so although it was written, what, 2,700 years ago, these words are God's word to us today and they speak to us in our time of turmoil in our time of expectancy and longing for God to step in, in our time of pointing to King Jesus and lifting him up and declaring how God's promises are fulfilled in him, and in our time of waiting and longing for his return when he will once and for all come and set all things right. This season of Advent is a season of longing and expectancy, but it's also a season of receiving again God coming to us. So today we're in Isaiah chapter 26, we jumped a few chapters on. And this section of Isaiah, uh, I've done my homework a little bit more carefully this week, in chapters 24 to 27, is actually part of this broader vision where Isaiah kind of steps back and he actually has prophecies around the whole world and some of the other nations around Israel. And so the vision is moving beyond just the people of God to the, the big picture of what God is doing globally and throughout history. And in these chapters, you have kind of this intermingling of promises of judgment, And promises of restoration. Uh, So, God's desire for there to be righteousness and for those who are oppressing and exploiting and committing evil to be stopped, uh, and for there to be righteousness and judgment and justice upon them but also at the same time, God's beautiful promises of hope and restoration and wonder. And so these two truths come together at the same time. And that's a little bit like I feel like this message is going to be this morning. Uh, That's kind of like two sermons in one, because there are two key truths in this chapter about the topic that we're looking at today, which is the Advent theme of peace. And they kind of seem a little bit different to each other. There might be a bit of whiplash about two-thirds of the way through this message. And yet, one flows on from the other, because there are a couple of different ways you can think about peace. And in these prophecy of Isaiah, which is well worth spending some time in this week for yourself and reading through, there are a couple of different ways about thinking about the peace. The first is really about how do we find peace for ourselves, And then the second is, how do we actually make peace in the world? And I think you need to find peace yourself. That's certainly the Scripture's path, that you find peace in Jesus, in God. And then we are invited to, along with Him, become peacemakers in our world. So I want to start by talking about how do we find peace? Uh, And there's one verse in particular I'd really love us to sit in. It's verse 3 of this chapter and I know that there's not too many people in this church there's a few uh, who are as old as me but there used to be a song in the brown book of scripture and song about this verse how many people remember the brown book oh look at that There's more than I thought yeah confessions of children of the 80s um so yeah this song and it was quite a reflective and meditative song and I remember it and it sticks in my mind as a great song to just slow down And meditate upon the truth of these words, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on you because they trust in you. In a world of anxiety, in a world of uncertainty, in a world where things are constantly changing, how do we find peace? And this verse is not meant to be a magic formula and a guarantee, but it is an invitation an invitation that we can find peace when our minds are stayed on God and when we trust in Him. Kind of sounds like this uh, more modern idea of mindfulness. Uh, And mindfulness is a great concept. Uh, And there's a lot of research that has been done in recent years that shows that mindfulness is actually a really helpful practice to overcome anxiety uh, and to find a sense of peace in the world. And so I think there's a truth here that resonates. And yet it's kind of mindfulness... Plus trust in God. It's mindfulness that is not just attentive to ourselves or to nothingness, but attentive to the presence of God. Mindfulness is usually defined as a non-judgmental, judgmental, sorry, non-judgmental awareness of the present, including your body, your health, your emotions, and your self-perception. So the idea of slowing down and paying attention without making judgments, without trying to, you know, kind of say what's right or wrong, just noticing what is happening for you in the present moment. I think what Isaiah would add to that is this kind of mindfulness is attentiveness, not just to the present, but to the presence of God. That is the hope of this story, that God, Emmanuel, is with us. God is here and we can pay attention to his presence. That might involve slowing down paying attention to the simplicity of the breath, that is the gift of life that God has given us, to the moment that we're in, to our surroundings, to the people in the community around us. And to cast our minds or to meditate, as a word that is, again, much more commonly used in, in certain modern practices, but actually is an invitation of the Scriptures to meditate upon God's presence. What is God saying? How is he here right now? How is he feeling about me and about this situation? How is God at work? That, Isaiah says, is how we find peace. Paying attention to the presence of God. Now, paying attention to the presence of God in the moment probably assumes that we've taken some time to get to know God and understand him and be you know, in relationship with him so that we might become more and more aware of him and his word and his ways in the moment. But what I wanted to do is the first thing this morning is kind of a, an invitation, I guess, to accept this invitation to finding peace, is spend a little t- bit of time, I guess, meditating together, reflecting together on this verse in particular. Let me read it to you again. You will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is steadfast on you because they trust in you. It's a beautiful translation, but it kind of loses the fact that this is actually poetry. It's poetry in the original. Uh, And so in the Hebrew, there's a lot more kind of rhythm and rhyme. Uh, The two words, that that it starts with the word yatsar, which is the word to to, uh, mind, the mind that will be focused on him. Uh, And then the word natzah, that God will keep those. And so it's like, you know, yatsar, natzah, very, like, Explaining poetry, like, destroys poetry, right? Yeah, as soon as you start to explain it, you're like, yeah, sure. But, you know, in the rhythm and the flow of it, it's these two words have deliberately been chosen because of the resonances in the sound between them. And then this idea of perfect peace, I love how Hebrew works. It is literally shalom, shalom, right? So the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Perfect peace is shalom, shalom. Which we do, we do that in English sometimes. You know how people say like you know it's hot, no, it's, it's hot hot today. Like it's it's proper hot hot, you know. Or you say you know was it was it true or was it true true? Or I don't know, was it really happening? That we kind of double it to give that emphasis. This idea of shalom shalom. So literally, the, the Hebrew says natsa yatsa shalom shalom. This idea of yatsa, the mind that is steadfast on God. It's a, it's a word that actually links to the idea of a potter and the clay and it's an image that Isaiah uses right throughout his book that God is the potter and we are the clay, that God has formed us and shaped us. And so somehow this idea here of mindfulness is actually about us recognising that we are created by God and so paying attention to him is not kind of paying attention to some other or some new idea or something out there. It's almost a returning to an acknowledgement of who we are. Oh, I'm I'm a piece of pottery and there is a potter who has shaped and formed me. And I'm actually going to look to the one who created me, who loves me, who formed me, whose hands are involved and active in my life. I love this connection between my mind and the mind of the one who imagined and brought me into being and the whole world into being. And so this, this awareness of the presence, not of an other, but the awareness of the presence of the God who formed and shaped me in the first place. It says that once we take that part of ourselves and acknowledge God, that if we sumak stay our mind upon him or rest or lay down or lean upon, there's a whole bunch of different translations for that word, but it seems to be one that is just for kind of relaxing in someone's presence. And I love that picture of like, a, a, you see this in little children all the time, sitting with their parents and they just kind of like like lean on them. It's like, I don't actually even need to hold myself up anymore because I trust you so much that you will do that for me. That just leaning on someone else, staying, l- relaxing into, paying attention to, you know, giving our whole self to. The idea of trust is one of total dependence, but dependence in a very relaxed and letting go and just, you know, giving over to the other way. One one who recognises that they are a piece of pottery shaped by the potter and then just allows the potter to kind of hold them, shape them, relaxes into, leans upon them. The promise then is that God would be the one who would watch over, who would tend, who would guard, who would keep those who do that. When we acknowledge ourselves as God's beautiful creation, when we relax into his presence as the one who shaped and formed us and is even now holding us, of course God will tend us and guard us and pay attention to us. That's who he is. He's the potter who formed us with his very hands. He will keep, guard, tend, and watch to us. And in that, in all of those things happening at the same time, Isaiah says, is Shalom Shalom. Ultimate perfect peace. Wholeness, rest, stillness, quiet. All is well and as it should be. As I said, this is not meant to be a magic formula but and i'm uh, but it and not, nor is it meant to be a one time thing but it is a simple practice that we can learn and grow into of finding peace in god himself I also want to say, uh, I think this is really important to say today, it's not just an individual thing. Often we think about mindfulness and meditation and overcome anxiety as something that you have to do yourself. Well, first and foremost, it's not individual here because it's actually done in relationship with God. But the verse also doesn't say, as the song in Scripture and song did, him, like the one, it actually is plural. It says that God will keep in perfect peace those, the ones, the community, whose minds are stayed on Him. This is something that we can do and practice together. There is a place for helping one another and reminding one another to be attentive to the presence of God, to be relaxing and trusting in His presence and to be allowing Him to tend to guide and guard us. I don't know if we're very good at that. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I find it a little bit harder to think about how do we do that for one another? Is it about asking the questions of how we're hearing from God and seeing God at work? Is it about just sitting in silence together sometimes? Is it about reading God's word together? Is it about being in a gospel group where we actually attentively pay, pay, you know, pay attention together to the scriptures and seek to see what God is saying through them? One of the best practices that I've introduced into my life, probably for about the last decade, uh, is I have a spiritual director And so this is like a professional person and my spiritual director about once a month, I go and I see her for an hour and her role is to pay attention to God's work in my life. So we sit and talk and I tell her what's happening, but the questions she asks are always seeking to draw out where is God at work? Where have you noticed or where have you not noticed and missed God's presence and work in your life? And it's a wonderful practice. Uh, and if it's something you're interested in, happy to talk about it later. And you know, it's, it's, it's something that I know a lot of pastors do, but it's, it's open to you know, anyone to be involved in. But I wonder if there's an element of which being the church community means we should be some kind of spiritual directors for one another. Those who are saying, hey, where is God at work here? What is God saying about this? How does God feel about you right now? How are we being attentive to the presence of God together? And how might that help us to find His peace? I also want to say that one of the ways we can help one another in this is actually acknowledging the really important role of professional pastoral counseling of counselors of psychologists and psychiatrists. I certainly wouldn't want anyone to hear me saying today that if you're suffering from anxiety you just need to pick a bible verse and you know spend some time meditating on it and it magically will all go away. We know that that's not how this works. We want to name the reality And the growing reality and experience amongst our community and our world of anxiety. And there's some really good reasons for it. Like the world is a really stressful place before we entered into a global pandemic. And then the last two years have been really hard and really uncertain and constantly changing. And there is good reasons to be anxious, to be concerned. There is an invitation to pay attention to the presence of God together in that and perhaps seek his peace. And so I really, I, again, you know, plenty of other places you can go as well, but I would say if you want the name of a good Christian counsellor or a Christian psychologist, who might be able to help you to do this with some tools that are beyond what I can talk about today, beyond what I have the professional knowledge of. Let's talk about that and let's um, figure that out together. But how do we find peace in our anxiety by paying attention to the presence of God in every situation? And perhaps, how do we do that for one another? If I am the person who is being attentive to the presence of God in a situation, am I actually someone who can find peace and bring peace into that situation for other people? Everyone's running around stressed about what's going to happen. Does naming the reality of who God is and where he might be at work and what he might be saying bring some level of peace into that situation? I would like to hope so. I would like to believe so. I would like to believe that that is the place and the role of the church for one another and perhaps even for those outside of our community. We sometimes talk about pastors or Christian leaders or maybe even churches being a non-anxious presence in our world. Sometimes the greatest gift you can give in a situation of uncertainty and chaos and turmoil is just to be the person who walks in and is not stressed and carries a sense of peace not because you've got it all figured out not because you're better than anyone else but perhaps because you are being attentive to the presence of God in a way that others have not yet acknowledged. It might be what you need it might be what you can be for others and so I'm going to try something really different and this may not work. Um, But I wanted to actually invite us just for a couple of minutes together to pay attention to the presence of God, to meditate on this verse, on this idea of where we might find our peace. And I'm trusting that God is here and will do this because I've got no magic to make this happen for you. But we have the time right now just to sit and be still, to slow down. To be attentive to the present moment, but most of all, to be attentive to the presence of God amongst us. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Take a couple of deep breaths. Slow yourself down. Pay attention to your whole body, where you are seated right here, right now. To what you are feeling and carrying within you, the weight that might be on your heart or on your mind, the questions, the needs, the desires, the plans, to breathe in and breathe out and to ask, Where is God with me right now? How can I be attentive to His presence? Because he will keep in perfect peace the ones whose minds are stayed on him, who trust in him. God is present, God is attentive to you. God is tending to you. God is holding you just as he formed you. He now invites you to relax and let go. Lean on him. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on you who trust in you you God Will keep perfect peace. Those whose minds. A stayed on you. Those who trust in you. Take a deep breath. And open your eyes. Thank you for taking a moment to still ourselves and meditate on that verse. I'm sure there's many other ways that you could do that. It's an invitation to a practice that is pretty simple for us individually and for us together. But I hope a helpful reminder that finding peace can start with slowing down and being attentive to the presence of God. I told you there might be a bit of whiplash (laughs) because the challenge of this passage is this beautiful invitation to meditation and reflection and attentiveness to the presence of God and the promise of peace that is found in that then leads Isaiah to very different kinds of words about peace. The kind of peace that involves humbling the mighty and lifting up the poor and the oppressed, that involves the upheaval of systems and orders in the world and the destruction of certain elements of what is happening around us. The kind of peace that involves judgment and righteousness, that involves grace and zeal and fire so that peace might be established once and for all. It seems that Isaiah is saying it's one thing to find peace and it's a good practice for us to find our peace in God. But we are invited to be peacemakers, to make peace in our world. And that's not going to happen sitting quietly. (laughs) There's a time to sit quietly and there's a time to get loud. And messy and chaotic, and in verses five and six, you get this incredible picture of God humbling those who dwell on high and leveling their city to the ground and casting it into dust. It's like a, a picture of a demolition. And it's, um, makes, brings. I'm sure this is not what Isaiah had in mind because I don't think it had been invented yet. But what it brings to mind is, for me, is those buildings when they like push a button and the whole thing starts to crumble. It's a picture of devastation and destruction, and yet out of that. What is high is brought low and what is low is lifted up and you end up with this complete reversal and everything is turned upside down. There's an upheaval and overthrow of the order, of the way things have always been and the proud and the mighty and the rulers are brought low and they find themselves trampled on is the image by the feet of the oppressed. This is probably really good news if you're oppressed. (laughs) A little bit more confronting if you're not. (laughs) And you might actually be the people who are already high and mighty. Yet this is upheaval and overthrow. Overthrow of the order of things and given it's its Advent and we're talking about the promise of Jesus this really reminds me of Mary's song in the Gospel of Luke when Mary first you know realises and, and understands that she is carrying the saviour of the world that she is going to bring into the world the one who will bring the peace of God once and for all she sings this beautiful song which starts out you know my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant and from now on generations will call me blessed and it seems like such a beautiful lovely song that you could spend time meditating and reflecting on. And then it turns, like Isaiah's prophecy does. And I will not show sure how often these words get sung at Christmas. Mary says, He scatters those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He brings down rulers from their thrones, but lifts up the humble. He fills the hungry with good things, but sends the rich away empty handed. And there is this great reversal that is promised, this bringing of peace in King Jesus. It seems to me the opposite of how we might expect or how we might have experienced peace to be won in the world. Usually the assumption seems to be if you need need peace in the world, then you win the war and that's what brings about peace. (laughs) The victory, the might, the battle, the victory of the strongest brings about peace and yet here the picture is of the weak trampling the strong. It's quite a confronting image. And yet Jesus says to his disciples, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. Not just those who keep the peace and avoid conflict for the sake of getting along, but those who are willing to see things turned upside down. And so we are not just called to find peace for ourselves, but to be those who are working towards peace by lifting up the poor and humble by making space, perhaps by getting out of their way, or perhaps by even being brought low ourselves. So it's really difficult to read this and hear this as those who live on the side of might and power and wealth because it's good news for those who live on the side of oppression and weakness and poverty. What does it look like to be peacemakers when it might cost us our power, our privilege, and our position? What does it look like to bring, be peacemakers when we might actually have to give up something in, or, and voluntarily choose to be made lower in order to lift up others and make them higher? So I think we have to do the first before we do the second because you have, if you haven't got the peace that comes from God, this will just make no sense and this just will seem completely backwards and upside down. Um... But Jesus seems to talk about this and, ex- and demonstrate this in his coming and his teaching in his life once and for all. Um, Jesus brings peace to the herding and the outcast, absolutely. He brings this peace that passes understanding that people can experience and yet he challenges the systems that promote inequity and injustice and conflict and he overthrows the tables of those who are, you know, making profit off the poor and are comfortable in their wealth and their high and mighty position he brings them low and he lifts up and honors amongst them the lost the least and the last what might that look like for us this is where I really have more questions than answers (laughs) Uh, And I don't have a nice little meditative practice for us to end with this morning um, because I think Isaiah wants to leave us a little bit uncomfortable. It's a time to be peaceful, reflective, meditative and comfortable. And if that's what you need to hold on to from today's message, then please do because I know that's um, really important. But the questions I have are ones like these. Where do we need to be humbled? Where do we need to make space for the poor to be lifted up? Where do we need to act to see the reversal, and be brought low ourselves. There's an invitation in this passage to be both peacefinders and peacemakers, to be those who are practising and experiencing but then working for, longing for, and bringing about the peace that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, brings. And so I wanted to invite us to do one more thing together this morning, and that is to take a few minutes to have a chat to a couple of people around you. Uh, and I'd love you to... Um, reflect together on this second aspect of peace. Where do you see uh, opportunity in maybe in our community or maybe it's globally and around the world for us to be those who make peace? Where do you see opportunities for us to humble ourselves, maybe to sacrifice, to give up, to make space so that peace might be brought about, not to impose peace on others, but to allow the other to be lifted up. Does that make sense? It's a lot of questions and a lot of things to reflect on. But, you know, this is um, both the, I think the preacher's cheating way of getting out of having to have all the answers, just saying, well, here's the questions, you guys talk about it. Um, But it's also the reality of this invitation to wrestle and I guess brings me right back to where I started Um, this morning the bible isn't you know a magic formula that one person every week stands up here and gives all the answers to and then we go away and forget about for the rest of the week it's an invitation for all of us to engage to read to listen to learn to hear uh, and to figure out in practice together so grab a couple people around you have a little bit of a chat and then i'll close us off in prayer in a few minutes so good to hear all those conversations. I hope you've got some creative ideas and good challenges. Please keep talking. Um, and I'd encourage us also to, to keep talking um about how we're seeing God at work in our own lives as well and that that attentiveness to the presence of God as something that we might keep practising this morning as we have conversations over coffee. Um, you know, easy to shift from this part of our gathering to another part of our gathering and shift mindset to talking about, I don't know, the weather and the football. Um, but yeah, just encourage you to keep the conversations going. But let me pray as we finish this part of our gathering together. King Jesus, I thank you for your word and for the way that it speaks um, generation after generation. Um, It invites us to hear your voice and to um, respond to your work in the world and your promises and what you are bringing about um, as you come to us. And I thank you too that your word isn't just a simple book that um, just tells us what to do and um, we you know, forget about it there, but there's an invitation to genuine relationship and community and conversation and figuring this out in practice. And sometimes that frustrates us because we don't have all the answers, but it is a beautiful gift that you've given us to walk uh, this life of faith with you. And so we do pray this morning that... um, whatever it is that you're saying to us with your presence here, that you would give us experience of your peace for ourselves in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, that you would show us what it looks like to be people who find peace in you and are able to bring that peace into uh, the situations of people around us as we pay attention to your presence. And we do pray that you would show us what it looks like as a church uh, and as your people around the world to be peacemakers, to be thinking... um, And working with you for um, that day in the future where there actually will be justice and equity and righteousness once and for all. And we don't want to just long for that, um, but we want you to show us how we can play a part in bringing that towards fruition even now. So thanks for um, our church family and the time that we have spent together in this part of our gathering. And we pray that you would bless our time together and our conversations over coffee, uh, that we might continue to hear your voice and be aware of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.